Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. And today we are going to talk about, well, we're going to start talking about what does it mean to deal with racism in America? How do we interact with it? How do we improve it? And what is the experience of people who are experiencing racism? Who are experiencing racism? Today is the first part in a three-part series of interviews that I hope to do over the upcoming weeks uh, talking about race in America. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today, a former coworker of mine and friend, Keon Hearns, has come by uh, virtually still. I'm still doing my virtual interviews uh, so that we can talk about something that, quite frankly, in America, we don't talk a lot about, which is what does it mean to grow up differently than I grew up? Uh, I don't know what it's like to grow up as a black man or black young man or black boy in America. But Keon does because he has been some of those and is a black man now. Uh, uh, making the, the trip towards a lawyer, correct? Last time we talked, I think um, that's... In, in process, doing some, doing some, some soul searching. Um, okay. But that is, that is the direction that I want to go is to do more more macro work. And I think that the legal system is how I want to do that doing and some, okay. you know, eventually transition into some politics. Um, okay. So getting the right backgrounds for those things. Good deal. All right. So we're here today to talk about something that I have no experience about. You and I have talked about racism in America in the past when we've worked some shifts. I've, I've shared some stories with some other friends. Uh, incidentally, who I'm going to interview later this week for next week's episode. And, you know, with all of the, the protests and the riots going on, and I think it's important that we distinguish between the two, uh, one of the things that I think brings your perspective uniquely to the forefront in my mind, you were one of the first people I thought about when I thought about this series of interviews, is the idea that you actually have not experience as a police officer, but you have friends and, and people who have been in, in those roles You've got experience on all, all ends of this. Uh, an uncle of yours was a famous boxer. Um, and, and so you've lived all the experiences that a person who hasn't lived the experiences thinks of. What are your thoughts in all of this going on right now with, with the protests and then the riots? And I think it's important that we distinguish between them. What are your um, thoughts? So Just Yeah, go ahead. So, so, so kind of put that in some context. I mean, I, I've had several interactions, both positive and negative with police officers. Um, I have an uncle who was a police chief out in Boston for a very long time. Um, and then when my former employer, when I worked at Pine Rest, I did a lot of verbal de-escalation and other community trainings with the GRPD. So I've actually had interactions with each and every officer for the GRPD from 2016. Um, and kind of some community relations training, as well as having, you know, some experiences that weren't so positive with the police. Mm -hmm. um, a few times, you know, being pulled over while black. Um, there was a particular instance in college where um, my girlfriend at the time, who was white, and I got pulled over, um, and they asked me to step out of the car, which as a young, naive 
18 year old, I thought nothing of it, but they went and asked her if she was in the car willingly. So that was, you know, an eye open experience for the both of us, both of us at that time. Um, and right now, honestly, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I, I'm, I'm scared. Um, there's a lot of emotions that, that are running through my body at this time. Um, I think that a lot of people aren't able to distinguish, you know, as you said, the, the protests from the riots and not able to distinguish who was doing what. Um, right, right. And I, I think also a lot of people are, are saying that people who are protesting are anti-police, which that has never been the message. I mean, my, my goal is to say, like, how can I educate the police? How can I under, help them understand? where I think a lot of people aren't, number one, willing to share that message, sure. or people aren't willing to accept that message. Um, and so that's where, that's where my, my, my hurt comes in. I mean, I'm a, I'm a genuine empath, so I feel pain on all sides, and I have a lot of friends who are police officers, and I reached out to them over the last week, and the sad thing is, is, you know, a lot of them said, you're the first person to actually reach out to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so and it's just, it's my diligence. I don't, I don't wish harm or hurt or anything on anyone. I understand the frustrations with people who are protesting, even understand the people who are rioting. Not that I agree with it, but I can understand some of that, that generational anger um, mm -hmm. if they have experienced that. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people who are rioting and looting and doing those things um, are not the same people who are experiencing the things that we're protesting. Right. Uh, one of the things you brought up there was, you know, the people's inability to distinguish between the nuances in this. As Americans, we tend to be 100% zero thinkers. Mm -hmm. um, do you find as a black man pressure to be anti-police? One of the things you said when we were talking kind of before we went on the air here is that you're not anti-police. And I've talked to some of my other friends, and, and to be honest, at this point, I, I would think if I did the numbers, it's probably about 50-50, mm -hmm. that some of them have said, yeah, I feel like some of my, well, I know I have a, one friend who, who's a black woman, and she says she feels like some of her relatives are not talking to her because she's not anti-police. She is police, and so she's not anti-police, and her cousin is, you know, the police chief down in Kalamazoo, and there's a lot of division there even amongst people who agree about this the generational injustice that's been going on do you feel that um i've never felt that pressure um and i think that's because um growing up my dad's brother who was the one that was the police chief out in boston um i think i think i had the advantage of having a lot of things be explained to me um, okay and so even when i did see injustices i kind of got some background um and it's not just like oh you know police are bad people i mean at the end of the day i see a person as a person um so i'm definitely not anti-police um even anti i wouldn't even say i'm anti-bad police i think that there needs to be more accountability for bad sure. police but that isn't me anti-police that makes me pro pro you know pro justice and that's what i'm that's what i'm more about i'm about pro do justice um you know right and being, being able to 
if I commit a crime, being able to be tried in the court of law as opposed to having one person serve as judge, jury, and executioner at that point. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that I've been talking to a lot of people about over the last couple of days is like right now, in this moment, the police situation is kind of to the forefront. And like you said, there's good cops, there's bad cops. I've had friends who are cops, you know, publicly call it out and say that was murder. I've other cops say, well, we don't know all the story. I don't really understand that one, but whatever. But one of the things that, that you said earlier, you know, you were dating a, a white woman and they asked her if she was with you willingly. Uh, you're married to, to a, a white woman. And I have other friends who are cross married. And, and one, one of the things that just blew my, and this is, I mean, 15 years ago now, but I imagine, I, I want to know if it still happens today. I'm sure it does. That's what scares me to ask. But like they would go to restaurants and somebody from one of them, either a white girl would walk up to her or a black guy would walk up to him or black girl up to him, whatever. He's black, she's white. You know, what's the matter? Aren't our people good enough for you? Stuff that I never think about when I'm out with my wife. I imagine you have some of those experiences. And I imagine most of my listeners would not even, that wouldn't be on their radar. My hope for today's episode is that we can raise awareness mm-hmm. for and, good people and, who are just uneducated. And, and you know, and you know, I won't name names, um, but I've had a, a lot of experiences um, throughout my life uh, with that. Um, when I went to college, you know, again, fresh face, 17 year old boy from Ipsy leaving his home, um, and just opened my world to a lot of new things. Um, but I remember when I first started dating my girlfriend from college, um, and we had gone home for a barbecue. Um, Sure. And when I walked in, it was like jaw dropped. Um, and not for my immediate family. My immediate family kind of has like been supportive, but like some of my uncles are like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, that's, that's not okay. What are you doing? Um, you know, and it, it, it was, it was interesting that, you know, like I, I felt, I, I, I felt ostracized because of that, you know, and yeah, that, that, imp- that impacted me a lot. Um, but I also think that it was difficult for the, for you know, my girlfriend at the time, I mean, I, 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 you know, I was a soccer star growing up. So I was familiar with going to places where I was the only person that looked like me. Um, and so I, I learned to be comfortable in those situations, you know. Um, but for her, I mean, she came from a very small town up north. Um, it was not, it was not comfortable for her. She was like, everyone's looking at me. And, you know, I, I and at that moment, I felt powerless to protect her. And so that was, you know, that was a, a big thing for me. Sure. Um, but then, but then also, you know, like a lot of her, her friends who remained in the, you know, the town where she grew up. Um, when I went there, you know, she's like, Oh my God, you're dating a black guy, you know, and they would jokingly call her the, you know, an inward lover. Um, which at that point she, she, you know, which was devastating. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of st- backstory that goes along with that. Um, and I don't want to put her, her business out there. So I'll, I'll kind of keep that, you know, between sure. you and I. Um, but even, even outside of that, even like just thinking about like black and brown relations, I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, I learned my Spanish, you know, in, in the city and growing up, you know, like hanging out in Holland as an adult. Um, 
I was dating a Hispanic lady. She was, you know, first generation American. Her parents were from Mexico. And they told her like, oh, no, you can't date black guys. And like, right. just even, right. even those experiences, like, you know, the hierarchy of, 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 of races um, in certain people's eyes. Um, yeah. And then, and then just, you know, now it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm hyper vigilant when I go out with my wife, just to kind of see who's looking at us, you know, and it, it's, it's more for her protection. I'm okay. Sure. I, I feel comfortable being uncomfortable, but I want to make sure that, that she's, you know, comfortable and, and I'm blessed. Her family has been super supportive. My family has been super supportive. Like it's, there's no barriers there, but I know that's not always the case in society. Right. Right. Sure. If you could, you know, one of the things, so I grew up in a very small community. Uh, I had, you know, Latino friends, Hispanic friends. I didn't really have any black friends until college. And, and, and that kind of opened my eyes to the subtle racisms that happen. You know, people tend to think of racism as this giant hate, like I call you the N-word, which it is. That's certainly racism. Mm -hmm. But that's like saying that all fires that destroy a house are arson. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's neglect and little fires. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that people, people often miss out on the, the almost hidden subtle racism that like if I was watching you interact with somebody across the room, I might not know that they're doing something racist, mm -hmm. but if I could hear what they're saying, they would be. And, you know, given your age, I've got to imagine you have a collection of those stories. I mean, I, I do. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's funny throughout this, you know, the last few days with everything going on in Grand Rapids, you know, I, I've had a lot of memories, you know, triggered. Um, and so I, I think about it. Uh, I think about, you know, the first time I was called the N word, I was in the third grade. Um, sure. And it was, it was another, another kid um, in my classroom. We were looking at a map of Africa and he was pointing at the country of Niger and said, Hey, look, it says N word, just like you. Um, and I, I was just like, like, it was almost like that. No, like that's, you know, that's not real. Right. Like, right. And I, I, I remember just like, I remember being so overwhelmed with anger, anger, but like not knowing why I was so mad. Um, sure. And that was like, that was like the first time. And then just, I mean, throughout high school, the microaggressions, you know, like, oh, you know, I, I. I dabbled in some private school, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you're here because you're an athlete. And I'm like, mm, I'm actually really freaking smart. And they're like, mm, no, you're good at, you know, you're good at sports. That's why you're, you know, you're allowed here. Right. Um, and so, and so that, I mean, like, I, I think of all the times that on the soccer bus where the kids thought it was funny, like, Hey, Kia, look inward, inward. I'm like, Oh, okay. Why is that humorous to you? And like, right. You know, one of those guys that was like this, you know, the salutatorian of our school. And I was like, that's, you know, like you're the second smartest kid in our, our school. And like, this is a language that you think is funny to you. Like, why is that? Why is that? Okay. Um, was he the second smartest kid to you? Uh, no, not at oh, all. Okay. Not at okay. All. Um, For those of you who don't know, Keon is being humble. That might be a true statement, but he's being humble. He's a very intelligent man. Yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't resist. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and just thinking of college, you know, like, as Joe said, I was, I was pretty smart in school. I did really well. Um, 
you know, got scholarships to several major universities. Um, at the time when I graduated high school, I was 17, so I really didn't want to leave Michigan. Um, so I chose to come to Grand Valley because it was a place that was, you know, really close to me um, in regards to like a two hour drive back to Ypsilanti, which is my hometown. Um, so close enough where I could drive there, but also far enough where my parents wouldn't just pop up on me at any time. Um, my dad really wanted me to go to Michigan because he was like, I can come to your dorm room all the time. And I'm like, uh, I think I would like some independence. So <laughs> cho chose, chose to go to the Grand Valley route. Um, and my sister had some ties to Grand Rapids, so it wasn't unfamiliar to me. Sure. Um, but I was in the honors college my freshman year. Oh, I was in the honors college, honors program the entire time, but they had their own building um, when I was in there my freshman, sophomore year at Grand Valley. Um, so it was, you know, the people who are recognized as like, okay, these are people who are great scholars and things like that, that came uh, that are at our, at our university. Um, and I remember there was, there was only three black males that lived in that building um, of the like 400 people that were in there. Um, and we we, we quickly recognized each other. It's like, okay, like, yep, we're the only ones here. Um, not that I formed friendships or anything like that, but just, you know, being, being aware of my surroundings. Um, but I remember hearing several times that year, like, oh, you're only here because you're black. Like, oh, they had, they had to bring you, you have to give you a scholarship because you're black. And I'm like, In Grand that? Valley. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was, it was peers in the honors program that were saying that to me, you know, right. like, and Grand Valley is known for its, I mean, they try to be known for their progressive mm -hmm. position in life. Yeah. And you know, they, they refuse to believe that, oh, no, he's as smart as me. He's here because he's black, not because he's smart like me. Um, right. And even, right. even um, it may have been my sophomore year, um, I had one professor um, who would consistently lose only my work. Um, you know, and was like, oh, well, I didn't, I, you didn't turn this in or no, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't take this test. And I'm like, I, I took the test in front of you. Um, and it actually got to the point where the student body president um, filed a complaint on my behalf um, because she was also wow. in the honors college because he just refused, her. he refused to believe that the work I was doing was mine. Um, and, you know, at 18, like, I was, I was filled with rage, you know, like not wanting to believe that it was race-based, you know, like, sure. And, and it's like, you know, it's, it's hard because as, as a person that does experience microaggressions and racism, you know, like is exhausting to think like, man, this is, this, is this really why, you know, is this really right. why, like, is this, is this really going on? Like you're in denial, but like the person pointed out, they're like, yeah, this isn't happening to anybody else. Like this isn't right. happening to anybody else. You know, we're all in the same classroom. You're walking in with your paper in hand and he said he didn't get it. Right. Or you didn't turn it in. And like, right. And this and is like 2009, 2010? 2002, 2002, 2002. Okay. Yeah. 2002. So, um, I mean, that's insane when you think about that. That's, you yeah. know, this century. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and, and that's, and that's why, you know, the thing is, and, and, you know, when he'd say, Oh, you didn't turn it in. I'm like, all right, we'll have enough other copy you know like and that that was just that was my solution I'm like you know what you know i don't want to play a right. game and she's like you know the student by her is like no this isn't right like i'm gonna i'm gonna do something about it because like it's it's it goes it goes to kind of 
it's kind of alludes to now, like sometimes we feel powerless to make a change. Sure. You know, and, and I think that's kind of how I felt at that time. Like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to find the best way around it. I'll, I'll make sure I print two copies off. Um, or, I'll, you know, like I'll save an extra one. I can go up and, you know, go upstairs and grab it. Um, I can do all these other things. She's like, well, you, you shouldn't have to do those things. Right. Right. Cause nobody else has to. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that w- when you share those stories, one of the things that I think people who don't live it and, and my, you know, my, my history is, is immigration to America from my relatives, my grandmother and grandfather were born in Italy. My parents moved over here and growing up, I saw some anti-Italian sentiment. We, I think we talked about the baseball game. I went to one time that I hated Mickey Morandini and my neighbor called my grandmother a spaghetti bender. And she actually hit my na- She hit my neighbor with an iron skillet. Um, because she couldn't believe she would call him that, you know, and I, when I think of those stories, there is a uprising in me. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I try to think, what would it be like to, instead of being Joe Martino, being Jim Hearns or Joe Hearns, and starting out in third grade, second grade, first grade, just regular accumulations of, oh, you're here because you're black. You got a scholarship. Where people just dismiss your hard work, where people call you the N-word, you know, nappy or, or, or other words. I think one of the things that people that don't live that life, they fail to understand is that triggering effect you talked about earlier. You know, I know you and I both have training as counselors, but I think the average person, I actually had a, a white man tell me two weeks ago, racism isn't in America anymore. And he was serious, like he wasn't being facetious. And, and I said, not only is it in America, but it happens on the regular. Can you address, because this is a long way to get to this question, I apologize. Can you address what it's like? Try to help my listeners understand what is it like to just be able to be 35 and have hundreds of incidents that remind you the microaggressions, the whatever the opposite of that is, the, the blatant aggressions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's exhausting. And, and, you know, I, I think of, I think of a phrase that my dad told me um, growing up, you know, with the, with the, you have to have ice water in your veins, never let them see you sweat, you know, always putting on this strong face, you know, like that's exhausting, Joe. Um, sure. I, I think of, I think of like, I, I had a conversation. I went into my office the other day and I was talking to one of my coworkers and, you know, she's emotional and I, I, I'm usually pretty stoic. Um, and she's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm angry. And she's like, she's like, that's scary to me that you're always so angry, but you don't show it. Sure. And I say, I say, there's a lot of times where I don't have the space to show it because if I show, if I show my anger, then I'm the angry black man that can't handle pressure. Or right. like, oh, see, see, he's going to blame race. He's going to play the race card. I'm like, no, like it's been going on for, for 28 of my 36 years on this earth that I've been right. dealing with you know, anger, you know, dealing with anger, dealing with racism, dealing with microaggressions, being the only person that looks like me in so many rooms and then being people's black friend that they want to refer to. And I'm like, right. you really don't know right. my experience. So you're telling me like, oh, 
And some of my best friends have said, like, oh, racism is a real look, look, because Keon did. Look, look what happened. Look, look at Keon. And I'm like, you are right. dismissing my journey. Like, you're dismissing my journey all the time. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I think about a couple other things I didn't allude to earlier. Um, the famous joke on, on the bus from any sport was, hey, it's dark. Keon, if you close your eyes, we won't be able to see you. That, that's, that was probably one of my, one of my least favorites. Um, but even dealing now, Joe, I, I, I was counting today. I was outside playing basketball, just mentally preparing for this conversation. And I was thinking, I was like, man, I've been, called, I've been told that I'm not black over 11 times in the last calendar year. Right. And, oh, you don't act like a black guy or you don't talk like a black guy. And and I, I wonder what that means. Is it because I'm educated? Is it because I'm good at code switching? Is it because like what makes me less less black than anyone else that's a black male in this country? Have you um, ever asked anybody who said that to you? Uh yeah. And they're like, Well, you don't you don't talk black. It usually starts with you're not even really black. And you know, I'm like, Okay, what does that mean? Right, right. Well you don't talk black. What do you mean I, I don't talk urban or I, I talk like I'm educated like elaborate right. for me and like right. you know what I mean I'm like no I, I don't know what you mean I, I want to know that's why I'm asking you like tell me what defines what defines black to you um right and then I usually usually have to walk away from that conversation because that's one that really gets my my blood boiling um, right and for those of you who don't know Keon he is very strong yeah yeah I'm yeah, that that part, you know, like, and so but that actually so, is probably a, a curse, right? I mean, like, I think about this. I've used to think about this when we worked at Pine Rest. You're a big dude, and I'm by big, I mean big and muscular. Mm-hmm. I know big guys that were not people of color, mm-hmm. and everybody at the bar wants to pick a fight with the big guy. Mm-hmm. Is it doubly worse for the guy that's big and black? Because now they want to pick a fight with the strong guy and the black guy. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's an accomplishment. Um, and I think about the times that we worked at at, at you know at our former employer. I won't say their name out loud. Um, where we worked in a residential setting with a lot of young men who wanted to prove themselves to be the tough guy. Yeah. And so I was the one, like, oh well, try to fight Keon. And, you know, yeah. and, and you know, it was like that sense of accomplishment, like the biggest guy in the yard, you yep, know, if, yep, if, if, yep. To, to, you know, to use a, to use a jail or prison metaphor, the biggest guy in the yard. Um, and so I, I, I know that. And I also have to, to regulate myself to not be seen as the angry black man. Um, right. Which is, which is, which is another hat that unfortunately, like I, I've, I've been, I've had placed on my head, um, which I don't want. Um, but, you know, again, with that exhaustion and, and some of that time, sometimes, you know, emotions, emotions happen. Um, I think about a time we were, we were at my current employer uh, and we were doing a safety training. And they were like, well, what would you do if a stranger came into the building? And one girl goes, oh, I'd go get Keon because he's big and scary. And I'm like, what, what makes me scary? Like, what, what makes me scary? Right. Um, you've never seen me angry. Uh, a few of my friends probably have. I, I get pretty, you know, 
emotional during sporting events, you know, where, where I'm playing or both watching. Um, I would imagine as a Michigan fan, there's plenty of opportunity yes, to get angry. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Um, oh, don't remind me. Um, but hey, man, it just, I again, cheer for it, Penn State, so that's even worse. I still love you, though. Um, yeah, I appreciate it's, that. It's, I love you, too. It's, it's, it's just like that, that was something that was a genuine thought for her that just came out that wasn't, like, provoked by right. anything. Like, oh, right. he's big and black, therefore he's scary. You know, like. Right. Yep. And, and, that, and, and that's hard. You know, I, 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 my sister um, posted on Facebook the other day, and it, it made me think of when that happened to me of, oh, she has two young boys that are the embodiment of me. If you separated the nerd and the athlete, um, they kind of each got both of those. Um, she goes, at one point, do my, my boys stop being cute and they start becoming a threat? Yeah, I had a friend ask me that just this last week. It's a terrifying thought that, to be honest with you, I had never thought of for my son. He's cute. He rides around. He's a smart aleck. Gets that from his Mm -hmm. mother. You know, I don't have to worry about when does he become a threat, right? (laughs) See, anybody who knows me will laugh at that one. So I I, I do have – what do you – so I'd like you to address the white person that's listening that isn't racist. And we would be pretty comfortable saying they're not racist. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last Friday night, went over to his house, sat by a fire. And he said, he's been pondering the idea that I'm not racist, that I don't make judgments based on color. I have friends across the color spectrum, but I'm not sure that I'm anti-racist. What would you say to that person? And and as we suss that out, what he really meant was he doesn't know what to do to help. Mm-hmm. what would you say as a person who's been on the receiving end of the injustice, mm-hmm. what would you say to that person? Uh, I would say a lot. I think the first, the first thing I would say is to, to look at racism is not just being hatred um, as looking at it as, as the system of racism. Um, and I could go on for ages and ages. I mean, I, I try to not have Facebook arguments, but sometimes my, my blood does boil a little bit. Um, you know, when those that say like, oh, well, you know, you guys have it equal now. And I'm like, well, we're, we're starting, you know, 50 yards behind you. And for running the 100 yard dash, you know, like that makes it a little, you said know, same starting time, but we're not at the same spot on the field. Um, I know I'm white and I'm so I, I try not to adjust address it beyond just observation, but I do have to interrupt you. When I hear somebody say, Oh, you guys, I'll mm-hmm. almost always comment. Any sentence that starts out with you guys probably isn't going to disprove racism. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. Um, so somebody says that to you 50 yards. Um, and I would just say like how, Who, who, so I'm going to, I'm going to take it from a personal standpoint. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't want to address the system. I, I want to say okay. like, if someone came, if someone came to me and said like, okay, how, how, how do I know that I'm not racist or how do I know that I'm anti-racist? And I said, how I would ask them, how willing are you to be an active listener? And, and that, and that's, that's what I think I would start is like, how willing would you be to be an active listener 
no, no bias, you know, removing all your preconceived thoughts um, about what it is to be a black person, what equality, what equity is like, you have to remove all those things and, 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 and hear genuinely. Um, and also know that it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not universal. I, I can't speak for the entire black population. I can speak for myself, which right. I may have different experiences, you know, growing up in a very poor neighborhood to now living in Jenison. Like it's a little, it's a little different, you know, scope. So right. Right. I, I was, I was explaining to someone today, actually, I was like, you know, I felt safer on the East side of Detroit than I do in Jenison sometimes. Sure. And they're, and they're like, why? And I'm like, I knew everyone there in, in the east side of Detroit just saw me as another person. But if I'm running through my neighborhood or, or doing some things out here in the community, do they know that I live here? Do they think I'm a threat? I mean, I've had right. the police call oh, 2017. Um, running out of my apartment to my car um, before we bought our house. I ran out of my apartment to my car because I forgot something in there and ran out to my car. The police were there. Oh, a black guy ran out of the building. And I'm like, what? You know, right. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Cause I live here. <laughs> it is like, it's like, if you can't hear that story and eliminate like, Oh, well you can't eliminate that. Those preconceived notions. Like, Right. Why did this have one? Like, I'm telling you why it happened, but you're not trying to listen. And I think right. that's, I think, I think that's, you know, I think that's the issue at hand is people aren't listening. They're, they're listening with, with the sense of like, well, let me, con let me see how this plays into my preconceived notion that, that classic confirmation bias, you know. And so let me listen so that I can find the points where you're wrong and explain to you why you're wrong. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Keon, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know that you are a busy man and I appreciate you coming by. I do want to give you these last few minutes. If there's anything that you want to say that we haven't covered, I know this is a really broad topic. You were very gracious and, and agreed to do this kind of at the last minute with not a lot of prep time. Uh, it's something that you have lived. Is there anything else you want to say? to the person listening? Um, I mean, I, I think, I, I think, I'll say this and, and, and it might be controversial, but it's, it's, it's genuine and from my heart. Um, I, I was responding to a, a question yesterday when someone said, why does it always have to be about race? And I responded, because it's still an issue. And until we actually address it and genuinely address it, it's going to constantly be an issue. So the thing that we ignore isn't going to go away. Yeah. And we have to wade into these uncomfortable conversations. Yes. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable in these conversations. Amen to that. And, and, and you know, it's funny because again, we alluded to kind of some of my police trainings, you know, people will say, well, if you want, if you want, if you, if you don't like it, do something about it. And, and I said, well, I'm trying, I'm, right. I'm trying. And, and, and 
but are you also willing to do that? Because they right. want to quickly point the finger at like, well, you go fix the police. And I'm like, well, it's, 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 it's not the police. It's not the people. It's a, it's a combination of both. But again, right. it's, also, it's also a working system. So if we don't address that system as a whole on all sides, it's, it's, it's going to just constantly being blamed, shifted left, right, up, down. It's like, how do we, how do we knock this out as a whole? Right. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I talk to people a lot about is until we're willing to listen to the place where we can feel the tension in our heart and our soul and live with it. And at the same time, just stand up to whatever comes up next. No, that's wrong. And I, I'm afraid that society is pushing us to the middle. Like, just don't call anything wrong. Just, just keep your head down and go to work. And there are some places that's appropriate. This is not one of them, in my opinion. No, I mean, I, I it's not, and it's gotta be addressed. And it's yes. gotta be addressed in a way that's humane. It's gotta be addressed in a way that, that people start to look at new information and adapt. Yes, because I think, I think people are not, are not willing to accept anything that's new and aren't willing to, to change their views. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling anyone to, you know, go from all lives matter to black lives matter, or black lives matter to all lives matter. But are you listening to what each side is saying? Right. Are you listening to why people are saying black lives matter? Or are you just responding? Therapy one-on-one, right. listen to understand, yes. not to respond. Yes. Yes. And man, I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for engaging in a difficult conversation. It's no problem. Anytime, Mr. Martino. All right. So that is the interview that I did with my friend and former colleague, Keon Hearns. Uh, hopefully that raises some awareness for you. My hope with this episode and the episodes to follow is that we can raise some awareness. I have some friends who are, they have legitimate questions like, hey, what do I do? Okay, I see this injustice. What do I do? And so I'm hoping to bring some perspective from three different uh, demographics, if you will. Keon is a bit younger than me, and so I wanted his perspective. I have a friend who we're going to uh, interview, and, and it will be on the episode next week, um, who is older than me. He was a mentor of mine in college, and I want his perspective as a black man. And then I also have a friend who is black and a woman and in law enforcement, and I want her perspective. And I'm hoping that over these interviews, these conversations, we can create a space where we can talk conversations that facilitate healing. If you found value in this episode, if you enjoyed it, if you found it informational, uh, if it spurred some thoughts in you, please share it with your friends. That's the best advertising that I can get. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to email me, joe at joemartino.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.